read the entire chapter, 17 verses. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She, being with child, cried, travailing in pain and pain, in birth, I'm sorry, and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was to be born. She brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. But the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. He might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. I titled the message tonight simply the war of the ages. Because really in this chapter you have condensed into 17 verses history. What we know is history. Uh, you know, Satan began his war with the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. So we're going back to the beginning of time. And we're going to see that's, that's who the dragon, of course, is. If you haven't caught that by reading the whole thing, well, you know, I think it's, it's rather obvious that that's who the dragon is. And, of course, the woman, as we will see, is, is particularly pertaining to Israel, but really... It really would have all, you know, God, or Satan has been at war with the, it really goes back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Uh, but it is particularly addressing Israel as it pertains to the tribulation period. And, of course, the tribulation, the end of the tribulation period takes us all the way to the millennium. And that's what this does, takes us to the end of the millennium. So, so it's really the war of the ages is what I've titled it. So let's, let's pray and we'll look at it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and opportunity we have to open your precious word give us understanding and wisdom and i pray that uh, we'd be encouraged and challenged in uh, in our and realizing the relationship that we have with you which cannot be broken by the powers of hell so lord just just uh, speak to our hearts we pray in jesus name 
Amen. All right, so I, I've got two, basically two points and a lot of, some sub-points. But anyway, notice, why don't you notice, first of all, the persecuted and her seed. In verses 1 and 2 it says, And there appeared a great wonder, and the word wonder is, is, is really, uh, you could use the word sign. Wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, if you remember in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has some dreams. And in one of his dreams, Joseph dreamed yet another dream. And he told it to his brother, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And of course, Jacob, his father, he told that to his brethren. Of course, they hated him the more because of his dreams. And his father kind of rebuked him for it. But we know that Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is beloved of his father. Uh, he is hated by his brethren. He is delivered to the Gentiles, sold for 30 pieces of silver. And our Lord was delivered to the Gentiles to be crucified for and betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. He is given a Gentile bride in Egypt. And of course... The gospel was taken to the Gentiles. And we are, the, 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 the saints are what Paul calls in, in 2 Corinthians, or is it 1 Corinthians, the espoused bride of Christ. We have espoused you to one husband, even unto Christ. And so he, Joseph is a type of Israel. So you think about this, Joseph is a type of Christ, before whom, that is Christ, before whom all are going to bow. Uh, and of course the, the sun would be referenced to Jacob, the moon to Joseph's mother, and the eleven stars would be his brethren. And, and so uh, this is the woman. Uh, she's clothed, it's describing her as clothed with it. And, and so we believe that this woman is pictured as, as Israel in particular. Israel in the, in the Old Testament is also referred to as the wife of Jehovah. Uh, for example, go to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. <clears throat> Isaiah 54. And verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not prevail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, let them stretch forth thy curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy states. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make desolates the cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. For thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. You know, and again, in Jeremiah chapter 3, you know, this, is, this, is, this kind of language referring to Israel's is common in the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah 3, verse 20. Jeremiah says, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, 
so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 16, in Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, the prophet Ezekiel describes Israel as, as a... Uh, um, you know, polluted, verse 6, has polluted in thine own blood. And then in verse 7, he picks up, he says, I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field. Thou hast increased in wax and great. Thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. You know, it's kind of the idea of you've grown into a beautiful woman. And it says, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, or a time of marriage. And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. And, of course, it goes on. You know, you remember in the book of Ruth, when Ruth approached uh, uh, um, Boaz, thank you, about redeeming her, uh, the, the land of uh, Elimelech, and, of course, it meant marrying her as well, she said, she asked him to spread your skirt over me. In other words, bring me under your protection and under your, your ownership, basically. And, and that's what the, the, the spreading of the skirt has the idea of marriage, a marriage covenant. And so God's entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. They're pictured like the wife of Jehovah. Verse 32 of this chapter says, But as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of a husband. That's, of course, he's, he's preaching against Israel because they had forsaken the Lord. And, of course, Hosea chapter 2, you know, Hosea is a picture of this. When he was told to take a wife of whoredoms, in Hosea 2, verses 19 and 20, it says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yeah, betroth me Thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and loving kindness and mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. So when we think about the woman here, this wonder of the woman, it is Israel, is the woman. Uh, if you notice, if you read on in, in, uh, in the chapter, it gives us more details. Uh, it says... Uh, in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, uh, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And then verse 17, the dragon was wroth to the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So it isn't just talking about an individual person. You know, some, some, some have tried to say, well, this is Mary. Others have tried to say it's a church. Mary Baker Eddy, I think it was Mary Baker Eddy, said it was her, and that the man-child was the uh, um, Christian science. And uh, uh, Harry Ironside said he wasn't even going to answer. He didn't waste, waste your time answering insane, insane people or something like that. You know, it was, That's so ridiculous. But you know, there are all kinds of interpretations of this. But I think it's very apparent. It, it speaks of Israel and her son... The man-child, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5, it says, She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was cut off on God and to his throne. So, 
uh, you know, of course, that's a that's an obvious reference to Christ, and particularly uh, the, the ruling part. You know, that's Psalm two seven to nine says, "I would declare to the decree: The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son; this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me; I shall give thee in thee the, the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron; thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel." Of course, we know Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 talks about uh, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forevermore. So we know, you know, it's rather obvious that the, 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 her, her, the child that she brings forth is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is of the nation of Israel. But I want to notice the second thing, and this is really the major part of the message tonight. I want you to notice the persecutor. First, notice his description, verses 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for devour her child as soon as it was born. His description is he's red. He's a great red dragon. You know, red, of course, is the color of blood. He speaks of his murderous nature. You know, John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and a father of it. You know, Satan is the motivating force behind the bloodshed in the history of mankind, beginning with Cain and continuing to this present time. He, he is the energy behind it. We talked about that energy this morning. He's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He's that spirit of energy that works. He's behind all. The evil in the world. He is the motivating force, you might say. He's, so he's, he's, he's red. He's described as red in color. He's described as a dragon. Now, dragons are known to be hideous and ferocious creatures. It's a good description. You know, he is, you know, I don't know how many adjectives or you could give to this, this, this uh, person, but he is deceitful. He's treacherous. He's traitorous. He's, he's, he's pictured in the Bible or described as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He's also pictured or described as an angel of light. You know, if he was going to come alongside of you, he may, he, may try, he may try to scare you first. And if that doesn't work, he'll try and seduce you by being Mr. Nice Guy. think of it first 300 years of christianity he persecuted god's people bloodshed violence the sword put them to the sword but the more he killed the more there were the saying was then the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church i mean people observed the way these people these christians died the things that they endured, the hardships endured. And, and not only did they feel sorry for them, they began to say, they got something I don't have. 
They've got a reason for living and a reason for dying. So that wasn't working. So you know what he did? Through a monarch, he made Christianity the state religion. He embraced it, but compromised it. You know, that deceived many more people than putting them to the sword. He destroyed many more people by compromise and deceit and appearing to be something good than he did by being a murderous traitor, persecutor. He's an angel of light. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, describes him as full of pride and rebellion. Isaiah 14, in verses 12 through 14, gives us a little description of him in the Old Testament. He's also described in Ezekiel 28. But here in Isaiah 14, it says, how art, in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You know, five times he says, I, I. It's all I, I, I. He's full of pride. You know, he was the anointed cherub. Ezekiel 28 tells us that he was the anointed cherub that covereth. It's believed, commentators say that it's believed that Satan was one of the highest and the most exalted angels that God created. In fact, many believe that he was the leader of music, of worship in heaven. He's called the son of the morning. And he had great power. He, Revelation tells us that his tail... Uh, drew a third part of the stars of heaven, verse 4 there, and did cast them to the earth. In other words, he, with him, he led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. They followed him. So obviously he had great power and great influence among the angelic hosts. He's full of pride and rebellion. You know, if you're full of pride and rebellion, you better check who your father is. Don't you notice his demeanor, verses 9 and 10. There's some names given to him. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. So here we, so here the, the dragon is defined or shown who he is. He's the serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So his demeanor, he's called the devil. The word devil, or the name devil, means slanderer or accuser. And that's what he does. He slanders. He accuses us. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But the word, the name Satan means adversary. Of course, we know that 1 Peter 5, 8 says that we have an adversary, the devil, that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
It's like a roaring lion walking about. So he's our enemy. He's our adversary. He is the enemy of humanity. He's not just the enemy of God's people. He wants to destroy all of humanity because man is made in the image of God. Do you know what he did? You know, he used Judas. And when he was done with him, just go hang yourself. I don't care. Nice guy, huh? He's an adversary. But he is the accuser. He, the Bible describes him here as the accuser of the brethren. The word accuser, it means that he seeks to decredit the saints of God, be, the saints before God. You know, this is what he did in Job chapter 1 when he, when he came. And, and by the way, until, until where we are in tribulation, the middle of the tribulation period, he's, somehow he still has access to God, to the throne. But when we come to Revelation chapter 13, 12, we're, in the, we're coming to the, the, the time period is the middle of the tribulation and there's going to be a war and he's going to be thrown out permanently. He's no longer going to have access. And that's what we're, we're looking at here. But up to this point, he still has access to, to heaven. And we find in Job chapter 1 a picture of him accusing one of the brethren. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, says there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now when it refers to the, the sons of God would be the angels, the, the Lord's angels. And, and here's Satan among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil. Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not, not forth thine hand so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So he accused Job of serving God because God made him to prosper. He accused him. He tried to discredit him. His, he, he, tried to dis, he was discrediting Job's faithfulness to God. That's what he's discrediting. And the word accuse means, this is a, this is, this is a definition to go outside of judicial proceedings beyond the action or authority of a court. So as to go beyond or outside or against the usual procedure of justice, it is legally unwarranted. Now, we have a perfect example going on in our country right now of this. These continued accusations against President Trump of collusion with Russia and obstruction when our government has spent $40 million in an investigation which, in my opinion, was biased against him from the beginning and yet found no evidence against him and yet there are still many who are trying to bring accusations against him and this is beyond or outside the usual procedure of justice and is legally unwarranted 
That's accusing. That's what the devil does to us. I mean, he's been cleared of this, and yet the Democrats are still accusing him of it. And the media is still accusing him of it. And you know, the old devil is going before God, and though you've been legally declared justified before God, he's still going before God and accusing you of being guilty. See, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've been justified by God the Father. And any accusation against us is legally unwarranted. See, we are now beyond the action and authority of the court of heaven because our case has already been settled. The judge has announced his verdict. I'm free. I pass from death unto life. You know, that's something we ought to shout about. We are justified before God, but the devil is still trying to accuse us. He's still trying to accuse us. As he did Job. Oh, he's an accuser of the brethren. The old serpent himself. Once you notice also not only his demeanor, but his dominion over the nations. In verse 3, it says, There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. In verse 15, it says, The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he may cause her to be carried away of the flood. And now, I mentioned this last week, but in the book of Revelation and some other places in the Bible, when it refers to waters as a flood, it's not talking about water. In fact, go for this, go to chapter 17, verse 15. It, it's wonderful when the Bible interprets itself, and it always does, if you search it. Uh, in chapter 17, verse 15, he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. So when it says here that the serpent casts out of his mouth water, notice it says, as a flood. It doesn't say water of a flood. It says water as a flood. So it's, it's speaking as that it's, he's describing something like it, or a figurative term. And so, uh, and, and if you read and compare with the rest of the book of Revelation and Old Testament scriptures, we know that the whole world is, gather, is going to gather together to battle against Israel. And that's what this is talking about. He's going to ha- gather all the multitudes of peoples, nations, and tongues against Israel. Because he has dominion over the nations. We see this also spoken of in Isaiah chapter 8, the same, the same idea of water as peoples. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, uh, where it says, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of, a river, of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria. In all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, 
O Emmanuel. So it's talking about, he's talking, it says, the, like the river, bringing up the rivers of water, the king of Assyria. So, so he has dominion. And he's going to bring these, all these nations together against, uh, against Israel. Uh, you know, he, he does have dominion over the nations of the earth. You know, it's interesting. It says here that in verse uh, 3 that he has on his head seven, seven, he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Uh, one commentator said this, it's, it's, quote, it's sobering to realize that all governments of men are ultimately controlled by the devil, even though God himself adorned the powers that be and commands Christians to submit to their ordinances. There have been many godly men in positions of political power, and these have had a restraining influence. Furthermore, to the extent that a government is founded upon law rather than men, and to the extent that these laws are based on the laws of God as revealed in Scripture, to such an extent will the government be in conformity with God's purposes rather than Satan's. There have been periods in the history of Israel, as well as in the history of England, the United States, and other nominally Christian nominally Christian nations, when this seems to have been largely the case. Sad to say, however, Satan's claim was nearly so nearly the full truth that Christ himself did not bother to refute it. Uh, John has said in his epistle, we know that the whole world lieth in wickedness. 1 John 5, 19. And really, so the picture there is practically the whole world and all the kingdoms of the world are lying comfortably under Satan's dominion. And so he's going to have waters as a flood. So he's, he has dominion over the nations. You know, Jesus didn't refute that. He offered, he offered all the kingdoms of the world to the Lord Jesus if he would fall down and worship him. And Jesus didn't refute what he said or his offer. He simply did not accept it. He would not bow to him. Uh, and, and notice that he, he speaks here of the seven crowns there have been seven main kingdoms of, in, of, of the world in Scripture. Babel, Egypt, um, uh, Assyria under Sennacherib, Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, Medo-Persia, and Greece, and, and then Rome. And all these have persecuted Israel. Every one of them. And so he has dominion over the earth. Uh, over the kingdoms of this world. And, uh, and, and, of course, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, For the far gospel hid is hid to them of the lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And, of course, so we know that he is the God of this world. And he has dominion over the kingdoms of this world. And his goal here, now we're... we're Time, the time period now where we are in, in Revelation is the middle of the tribulation. His goal here is the destruction or the annihilation of Israel. But he, of course, has been the persecutor and destroyer and corrupter of all mankind. Ever since the beginning of time. You know, he... he you had Cain kill Abel. You know, in Abraham's time, uh, you know, in, in, uh, well, let's, let's, you know, I'm not going to go on all this. At the, you know, Judah, 
was, you know, Jacob was corrupted. His first three sons were, were set aside. And then Judah, the fourth son who was chosen, his first two sons were, 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 were killed by the Lord. Uh, at the time of Moses' birth, Satan was bold enough to seek through Pharaoh to destroy all the male children of Israel. There were many attempts of Saul and others on the life of David. Uh, there were uh, attempts after attempt to destroy and corrupt the, the successive uh, kings of Judah and their families. And, and, and finally, you have, during the days of Esther, a decree to kill all the Jews. Days of Isaiah. Uh, you know, and we can go on and on. Of course, when Christ was born, Herod uh, attempted to, to, to uh, uh, kill the Savior when he was born. And so this is, this is a continual thing that we see that Satan has, has been a corrupter and destroyer of all mankind. You know, he, he corrupted the godly line of Seth to intermarry with the ungodly line of Cain. And the fruit of that is described in Genesis chapter 6. Every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. You know, this is still a tactic he uses to corrupt and destroy God's people today. Marry the unsaved. I mean... The, 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 the men of the world looked at the women and saw that they were fair. The women on the line of Seth and saw that they were fair. In other words, they were beautiful women. And they intermarried. The ungodly with the godly and corrupted the godly line of Seth. Of course, all that was left was Noah. Uh, who was saved through the flood. You know, the saints have been snatched away from this earthly hold, from the presence of corruption. Israel is at last attempt, his last attempt to discredit God's promises. And they have been persecuted. You know, Israel has been persecuted longer than any nation in history. And this, this last persecution will be their final test. I'll just give you a few things about the nation of Israel. The, the political persecutions of the past, just, just since the time of our Lord. In 135 A.D., the Roman emperor Hadrian had 580,000 Jews killed. In 1020 A.D., King Canute banished all Jews from England. 1096 A.D., a holy war started in Europe to exterminate all those who would not submit to Roman Catholic baptism. 1272 A.D., Edward I confiscated all Jewish property and exiled 16,500 Jews. In 306 A.D., in France, 100,000 Jews were stripped of all their possessions and exiled. In, in 1345 to 1350, Jews in, were burned in Germany and accused of murdering Catholic children in order to eat them as Passover lambs. The Jews escaped the Black Death, which swept through Europe at this time. Through the sanitary laws, they observed... In Leviticus, but they were accused of starting the plague. In 1492, Dominican Catholics ran the Jews out of Spain in the Inquisition. In 15 to 1600, Jews were banished from Prague and Constantinople. 1683, under Louis XIV of France, who was a Roman Catholic, all Jews were exiled from French colonies. In 1938, Hitler, a Roman Catholic, and Joseph 
uh, Goebbels, a Roman Catholic, formulated, of course, you know, you know what plan. Uh, Catholics, of course, have been persecutors of the Jews as well because they think they've taken the place of the, the, the Jewish people. Uh, 1215, Pope Innocent III made all Jews wear a yellow badge, just like Hitler did. 1242, Roman Catholics had 40, 24 wagons loads of Hebrew records burned in France. 1336, 120 communities were massacred by mobs of 5,000 Catholics. 1684, in Alsace, Bavaria, and Austria, some 800,000 Jews disappeared. 1825, Tsar Nicholas I of Russia ordered 5 million Jews to move into separate towns. In 1916 to 1918, the Russian Revolution occurs. Jews of Eastern Europe became victims of programs in Poland. Large-scale massacres were perpetrated by the white Russians or the counter-revolutionary forces. And, of course, 1930 to 1945, Hitler and Goebbels and, and Himmler, um, of course, you know, killed six million of them. And, and they used a collection of papers called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which supposedly proves that 70 international Jewish bankers are planning to take over the world with their gold. That was their justification. But the official teaching of the Catholic Church is that Orthodox Jew on the that the Orthodox Jew on the face of the earth is cursed by Almighty God. By the way, so are you. If you don't adhere to the Catholic dogma. So this is his last attempt to discredit the promises of God. But I want you to notice. Finally, his doom. Verses 10 through 12. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell on them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a Short time. I want you to notice three things, just briefly. Number one, his days are numbered. His days are numbered. In fact, it tells us how many days he has. 1,260. And he knows that. You know, he knows the Bible. He doesn't have all knowledge like God does, but he knows the Bible. He can, he can quote it for you. He quoted it to Jesus, but he took it out of context. Jesus knew that. He deceived Eve by misquoting it. But his days are numbered. Verse 6, The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's 1260. And then, of course, in verse uh, 14, it gives that time period again. Time, times, and half a time. Again, that's, that's three and a half years. He knows that he only has three and a half years to destroy Israel. So this is an all-out, all-out effort to destroy God's people. He knows his days and number. He will be, he will be defeated in his purpose. Verse 17 says, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And verse 11 tells us that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. He's going to kill them. He's going to kill a lot of them. 
And those who refuse, as we're going to see you know, in the next chapter, there's, there's going to be many that refuse to take the mark of the beast during this time, and they're going to die. But they are still overcoming because they're not submitting to it. You're not submitting to them what will cost many of them their lives, but they still have the victory because they're in Christ. They've passed from death and life already. They already have eternal life. All he can destroy is their body. He cannot destroy their soul and their spirit. So he is defeated in his purpose. And his end is determined. Chapter 20 and verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, he is a defeated foe. He is already a defeated foe. We know that his end is determined. We don't know when yet it is. But from, from chapter 12, he has three and a half years. He has three and a half years. And his end is determined. He is going to be brought to naught. He will be brought down to hell. His defeat is certain. But our victory is secure in Christ. You know, we can overcome him. Like verse 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You know, we can overcome him because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he, he's just like a roaring lion. He's going about looking for somebody that he can devour, looking for somebody that he can destroy. But he can be resisted. Verse 9 says, Whom resist steadfast, in the faith. We resist him by believing the promises of God. Trusting him to give us the victory. Submitting to him. See, we can overcome him. Again, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Oh, we have an enemy. We have an adversary. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy. He wants to, he's accusing you before God. He wants to discredit you. He wants to keep your life defeated. He don't want you to be submitted to the Spirit of God. He don't want you to have victory in this life. He wants your life and my life to be a disgrace before the world. That's what he wants. If you're saved, he knows he can't destroy you. He just wants to discredit you. And so we need to be submitted 
and have faith and follow God and his word. Trusting him to give us victory, which we can have if we'll just obey him and follow him. Let's pray.